Okay, Emery, you're here now? Okay, good. All right, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1. Now, make that Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to increment 177 today, of all things. The message is not when Harry met Sally. It is when Abraham met Melchizedek. It isn't when Josie Wales met ten bears as two warriors in the struggle of life. It's when Abraham met Melchizedek. And so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity and show us, if you will, the significance of this meeting on levels that we perhaps have not entertained before. In Jesus' name, amen. Two increments ago, I offered a translation of Hebrews 7, 1 to 3, and as is often my habit, I omitted a part, and the, the habit is not just by my own design. I omitted a part, so I'm going to give you our translation, my working translation of Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, with a couple of little bracketed inserts and expansions, and then we're going to take off from there. Speaking, of course, of Melchizedek, this is after a very long introduction that arguably begins in Hebrews 5.10, where we have the almost like a title over a section, Archpriest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's what it says in 5.10. From 5.11 through 5.20, we have an introduction to this very chapter and this very section that we're beginning today. And the section that began in Hebrews 5.10 with the title, An Archpriest Forever After the Order of Melchizedek, ended with an archpriest forever after the order of Melchizedek, identifying that priest as Jesus. So this takes up seamlessly in our fabric, seamlessly in Hebrews 7.1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest to God most high, who met with Abraham, ha Sun Antesis Abraham is the Greek, and that's what you'll see next to increment 177 in your printed form of this message. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, please notice that. First thing we notice about Melchizedek is his name. It's a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew word, Malki Zedek. Malki meaning king, Zedek meaning righteousness. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem also is a transliteration of the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. So he's king of righteousness and king of peace. Now, I'm not just playing with words here. I'm not just doing word studies here. The PT does the same thing, so I'm doing it too. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest to God Most High, El Elyon, who met with Abraham. That's when Abraham met 
Melchizedek, which is also when Melchizedek met Abraham. To whom Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything, first, the interpretation of his name is king of righteousness. See, I told you so. Then he is also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Please notice righteousness and peace together in this king, Melchizedek. Righteousness and peace have kissed in this meeting. Without father, without mother, neither having beginning of days nor end of life, we have the sense without genealogy, but made like the Son of God. He, in effect, remains a priest perpetually. Now, there's a lot of things that people have assumed from this. They've assumed that Melchizedek is a divine figure. Some have said that he's the, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. I think J. Vernon McGee thought that. Others think he's an angel or some other kind of divine figure. And we're going to see otherwise, I believe. But I'm going to read this again now without interruption. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest to God most high, who met with Abraham and blessed him as he returned from the defeat of the kings, to whom Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. First, the interpretation of his name is king of righteousness, Melchizedek. Then he is also king of Salem, which means king of peace. So this is king of righteousness and king of peace. Righteousness and peace come together in this one person without father without mother that's without genealogy neither having beginning of days nor end of life but made like and I would translate that as made a prefiguration of the son of God he in effect remains a priest perpetually please notice that he is made like the son of God doesn't say the son of God is made like him it says that he is made like the Son of God. He has made a kind of prefiguration of the Son of God. These, the, the Old Testament writings, all of them, including this one we're going to look at in, in Genesis 14, 17 to, to 20, all of these speak of me, Jesus said. Melchizedek speaks of Jesus. He's a prefiguration of Jesus. He isn't Jesus himself. He isn't a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, and I'm going to demonstrate that. He is a prefiguration of the Son of God. So first, the PT recounts details of what the scripture says about Melchizedek. He is king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. His name means king of righteousness. He met with Abraham, blessed him, and that also then says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That is the spoils of the war, the battle that Abraham just came from. The PT then makes just as much out of what the scripture does not say about Melchizedek. And therefore, the PT makes much out of what we would call an argument from silence. We're not going to deal with that today, but that's coming. 
But what is said and what is not said both figure prominently in the correspondence between Melchizedek and Jesus, the Son of God. And that's where we're going. First, I'll say it again. The name Melchizedek is a Greek transliteration. That means the Greek letters basically take the Hebrew letters over into the Greek language and it becomes a transliteration. It's a transliteration of Malki, M-A-L-K-I, or M-A-L-C-H-I, Malki. That means king. And then Zedek means righteousness. We would call it plus R or righteousness. Zedek. We have the word Zedekah, meaning righteousness, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 6, etc. So Melchi plus Zedek or Melchizedek. So first the name Melchizedek is the Greek, Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Melchi Zedek, which means king of righteousness. Second, this Melchizedek is king of Salem, Basileus Salem, S-A-L-E-M. You'll see all these Greek words in print also. The teaching pastor makes much of the meaning of words here. And so I am. I'm doing the same thing he's doing. It's significant that Melchizedek is the king of Salem. And that again is the Greek word, Salem, which really is, means shalom in the Hebrew. Salem. E, or let's make that an S in the Greek, A-L-E-M, accent here, Salem, S-A-L-E-M, Salem, king of Salem. It was a nearby city or town in Canaan where this all happened. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew Shalem, which is related in turn to shalom, the root word shalom. Included among the meanings of shalom are completeness, security, well-being, and peace. Now, if you'll remember, we christened, and I use that word on purpose, we christened 2021 the year of the great king. So it's providential that as this year winds down into November and December, we are faced with a consideration of Jesus, our great king, in connection with Melchizedek, the king of Salem and priest to the most high God, whom God made a prefiguration of his son. It's also providential that I think this message is officially going to be presented or aired or on the website for consumption by all on the day before Veterans Day. And this is also providential because Melchizedek meeting Abraham was immediately following a military victory and freedom won through that military victory. It is a military victory through which hostages that were taken by certain terrorist kings or sheikhs, desert sheikhs, were raided at night by 318 warriors. They're called homebreds. 
homebreds. Today, people might even call them homeboys, homebreds. They were people from the neighborhood, people from Abraham's traveling tent community. There were 318 that were born in that community, men, whom Abraham trained in the arts of war, the art of war, the art of martial arts and military arts. They were swordsmen, they used spears, they were able to use various weapons, and they were highly trained, and there were 318 of them. Abraham rounded them all up and staged a night raid on the terrorist desert kings that had taken hostages of the whole cavalry of Sodom and Gomorrah and with those hostages happened to be Lot who was Abraham's brother's son. So Abraham had a little personal investment or personal stake in this also. And so when Abraham met Melchizedek or when Melchizedek came out to meet Abraham after Abraham had returned from, it literally says, cutting down this axis of kings, this axis of evil, and freeing the hostages. Melchizedek came out from Salem to meet him. He'd heard of this military victory. He came out to meet Abraham, and he blessed him. But I want to be, I'm concerned mainly right now simply with the fact that Abraham met Melchizedek, that Melchizedek met Abraham on a place called the Plain of the King. It was in a valley or a plain, and it's sometimes called the King's Valley, sometimes called the Plain, P-L-A-I-N, of the King. So that's kind of like the context and the occasion. And so... We did christen this the year of the great king, and so we're dealing with the king's valley here. We're dealing with the valley of kings, the plain of the king. We're dealing with Melchizedek, a king, meeting Abraham, a patriarch. Jesus has been made an archpriest forever after the order of this Melchizedek. An apt question then, who is this Melchizedek? The PT begins to answer the question immediately, and he gets his answers from the text of Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Melchizedek makes his appearance in Genesis 14, 18 to 20. In all of the Old Testament, he only appears twice. Does that sound familiar? He appears in Genesis 14, 18 to 20 as if out of nowhere, but he comes from Salem, the city of peace, Jerusalem, or a figure of the new Jerusalem. Melchizedek appears a second time in Psalm 110.4. Get the connection? Jesus will appear a second time, Hebrews 9.28, bringing salvation. The occasion, again, Abraham had returned to a place called the plain of a king. It's called Sawai. S-A-U-E. From the cutting down of a king named Kodo Logomonor. Kodo Logomor. And the kings who were with him. You'll see that in, spelled out in the print, printed form. For Abram, as the Old Testament puts it, Abram, this is before he was called Abraham, but in recollection of it, 
the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer calls him Abraham. Abraham and 318 militarily trained men from Abraham's tent community. They were called homebreds, H-O-M-E-B-R-E-D-S. Comes from a word we should be familiar with, oikos, but a compound of the word. Oiko, O-I-K-O-G, E N E S. Born in the house. Home breds. Domestics. People born in the community of Abraham. 318 militarily trained men from his own tent community. Home breds. Oikogenes, as they're called in Genesis 14 14. And Abraham. And that 318 cohort staged a night raid on Kodo Legomor's army. He chased down and killed Kodo Legomor and the kings who formed an axis with him. Abraham and his army of, I like to call them cowboy commandos, rescued hostages taken from Sodom and Gomorrah by the terrorist kings including all the cavalry of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, Abraham's brother's son. As Abram and his cohort and all the rescued hostages were in this valley of Salway, or this plain of the king, two kings actually came out to meet him, according to the Genesis account. The Hebrew writer completely ignores one of those kings, the king of Sodom. The Hebrew writer also Hebrews writer also ignores that when Melchizedek came, he brought bread and wine. That's simply not according to the purpose of the writer. The king of Sodom wanted to reward Abraham as if the military victory was due to Abraham's heroism. But Abram summarily rejected that reward. And he said, I won't take a shoelace or a sandal latchet from you lest you should go around saying that you made Abraham rich. And so he rejected the king of Sodom's reward. And then a second king came out to him, Melchizedek, king of Salem. And again, the, pre, the PT, the pastor, the writing pastor, does not elaborate on the context. Instead, he does a couple of word studies on the meaning of the name Melchizedek itself, king of righteousness. And then he deliberately connects it with the king of Salem and with priest to God most high. Now, what I'm looking for in my study is things that aren't usually observed in most commentaries. Otherwise, I could just tell you to read the commentaries. There's an important observation to be made here that is not often observed in commentaries. And the only reason we got it is because of the grace of God who gives insights, but also because of the pace we've been going in Hebrews. Taking it slow, we give time for insights to emerge that normally wouldn't emerge if we just rushed through. So there's an important observation to be made here that's not often observed in commentaries, and it refers to Melchizedek as he who met Abraham. And I'll do the phrase here because it's important. Ho, H-O, and then the verb S, 
U N A to E N and then T A to E S Epsilon E N Soon S U N Soon A Tason comes from the word Soon Antao S U N A N T A O and it simply means to meet or to meet together Soon Antao Soon Antao so again this is an important observation to be made because it says it refers to Melchizedek as he who met Abraham. So what is it that's special about this Melchizedek? Well, he's he who met Abraham. In Hebrews 7.10, the same verb is used when it says that when Abraham met Melchizedek. First, Melchizedek met Abraham. Then it says in 7.10, Abraham met Melchizedek. This is what we would call a chiasm. Uh, a chiasm is a alternation. We have, first of all, Melchizedek, we'll call him Mel, meets Abe, Abraham. And then in 710, we have Abraham, Abe, meets Mel. That's what we call a chiasmas, or an alternation, and it's done on purpose to emphasize their meeting. Melchizedek met Abraham, Abraham met Melchizedek. That meeting is significant, and it's revealed to be so in this Abba connection, or configuration. So the word suntao really becomes a key word in this whole pericope, and it's because of what I'm going to tell you now. This is significant not only because of the meeting of these two biblical VIPs, very important persons, it's significant because when these two men met, the oath-fortified oracle to Melchizedek met with the oath-fortified promise to Abraham. More than that, the significance of both of these men and what they represented met in Jesus. Jesus is the archpriest after the order of Melchizedek and Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham of a seed in whom all the nations are to be blessed. Now when Abraham met Melchizedek in Hebrews 7.10, the writer almost uses humor, it is humor, when he says that Levi was still in Abraham's loins. He, has, he wasn't born yet, but he was in Abraham's loins. And so he sets up a comparison of if Melchizedek blessed Abraham, he was blessing Levi. And there's a principle that says the one who blesses is superior to the one who is blessed. And so Melchizedek represents a priesthood that is superior to Levi's priesthood. So there's something better than Levi's genes. Get it? So, <laughs> there is something. I, I just, uh, just made that up. Just wrangled that together. And um, so we'll continue. Jesus, the archpriest, after the order of Melchizedek, and 
Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, met. So what's more, and I like to say this, this is my principle of study, there's always more. What is more, this Melchizedek is called both king of righteousness, that's what his name means, and king of Salem, which is king of peace. In Melchizedek, righteousness and peace have met together, therefore, have they not? As have the designation of priest and king. In Melchizedek, righteousness and peace have met together. In Melchizedek, king and priest have met together. In a far greater sense, in Jesus, righteousness and peace have met together. And we're going to see that. In fact, if you turn to Psalm 85.10, if you're able to do so, if you're not listening while driving or operating heavy machinery, you can turn to Psalm 85.10, which is the Septuagint of 84.11, and we'll see where that comes out. Melchizedek is called both king of righteousness and king of Salem, which is king of peace. In Melchizedek, therefore, righteousness and peace have met together, as have the designations of priest and king. Now, here's where we get to use Gezer Shawah, which is, again, the rabbi's form of exegesis, where you find a key word and you find it elsewhere. The key word we're looking at is sun antao. I'll put it in the English transliteration. Sun antao, which means to meet, which is used in Hebrews 7.1 and 7.10, but it's also used in the Septuagint of Psalm 84.11, where we discover another use of this sun antao. There it says, mercy and truth have met together. Sun antao. This time it's mercy and truth. They've met together. Then the verse adds, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This means to kiss fervently. Now we may ask, here's the question, and you can ask yourself this question, where did mercy and truth meet together? Not on the valley of the plain of kings, maybe. I would answer, mercy and truth met together in Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says as much in other words, saying that the incarnate word was full of grace and truth. You say, that's grace and truth meeting, not mercy and truth. No, grace and truth, which also came by Jesus Christ in John 1.17, their grace has the same sense as mercy as it does in Hebrews. Because in Hebrews 4.16, it says, taking hold of mercy at the throne of grace and finding grace in, for timely help are one action. They mean the same thing. Taking hold of mercy and finding grace to help, same thing. Truth is also defined, aletheia, as reality. Mercy and reality have met together in Jesus. Now follow this line of reasoning and you're going to have to probably go over this message several times and read it several times to get the insight that's lodged here. 
Mercy and reality have met together in Jesus. God's mercy is that by which we are saved. So when we talk about mercy, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about saving mercy. For, for example, the scripture says, not according to righteous deeds which we do, but according to God's mercy, he saved us. According to God's mercy, Eleos, he saved us. Titus 3.5 This saving mercy of God is what God intends to have on all. As Romans 11.32 says. Consequently, when reality met mercy in Jesus Christ, the reality that is Jesus is a universally saving mercy. Reality is Jesus. But the reality that is Jesus is, the universal, is a universally saving mercy. When we see Jesus, we are seeing the meeting of universal saving mercy with truth or reality. This truth doesn't hurt. This truth is mercy. And that hurts people that think that the truth hurts. When we see Jesus, we are seeing the meeting of universal saving mercy with truth or reality. So Jesus is the reality of God's all-saving mercy. People like to say it all the time now, and they say it out of context and in a way that is not worshipful. They say, Jesus. Well, so do I. I'll say it this way. Jesus is reality. Jesus is the reality of God's all-saving mercy. This is USSJC ship that's sailing. When we see Jesus lifted up like a bronze replica snake, a replica reptile on a pole. Crude image, isn't it? But when we see Jesus lifted up like a bronze snake on a pole like Moses lifted it up in the wilderness, we are seeing the meeting of all saving mercy and absolute truth, reality with a capital R. Now, on the flip side of this same coin, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Right next to mercy and truth are met together just like Melchizedek met Abraham. Mercy met truth. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is illustrated in Melchizedek because his name means king of righteousness and king of peace. He's king of Salem, which means king of peace. So in Melchizedek, see it? In Melchizedek, righteousness and peace have kissed. But Melchizedek is a prefiguration of the greater archpriest in whom righteousness for all and peace through the whole creation are met in one Jesus Christ. Let me show it a different way. 
On top of all this, Melchizedek appears in Scripture as one who was made like the Son of God in the sense that, what does it mean he was made like the Son of God? You can't make him eternal. You can't make him divine. Made like the Son of God means in the sense that his appearance in Scripture on purpose by the Holy Spirit is a prefiguration. Is that a word? I don't know. I guess pre-figuration. It's a word now. It's a prefiguration of Jesus, the Son of God, who is the ultimate king of righteousness. And he's also the ultimate king of peace. He's the king of righteousness, Jesus is, because of his one righteous act. By his one righteous act, the all who were condemned in Adam and dead in sins were made justified or made righteous and made alive in Christ in Romans 5:18 and 19 moreover all those who were justified or made righteous by the king of righteousness have peace with God therefore being justified by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ which is his righteousness his righteousness in Romans 5 1 and 2 we have what? Peace with God. Mercy and truth have met in Jesus. Righteousness and peace have kissed in Jesus, who is our great king and our great archpriest. This is my introduction into Hebrews 7, and this is our first observation that isn't usually observed in commentaries. I said it before, I'll say it now with boldness. Hebrews is not a dissertation on the universal salvation, but our commentary on Hebrews surely is. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. May we see Jesus as the meeting place of righteousness and peace, the meeting place of universal mercy and absolute reality. And may, therefore, we have in us an anchor for the soul so that we are not moved from this hope and that we can remain steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.